You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular. The guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. It's the show that you listen to on it's a podcast but no one has iPods anymore whoa but y'all never <laughs> thought about that whoa there was a uh, unnamed celebrity that I who I had to work with on a podcast at one point in time that kept calling her podcast her iPod and um, I was okay <laughs> with that I love it I love it for me it would be my phone cast um the voices you've heard include our guest this week, Joelle Monique. How are Yay. you? Hey. Hey. I'm still here. And I'm really excited because we can talk more about breakfast. I know. <laughs> but, okay, before we started recording, you mentioned that you, so Joelle writes for a bunch of, God, you've written for everything. A lot of places, yeah. But you used to write for home improvement shows. Okay, so I didn't write for home improvement shows. I was a production assistant and then an office assistant. Did I sign an NDA? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was thinking as I was about to ask you this. I was like... I'll just say it's one of the major ones where everyone seems to have uh, no job but a budget of a million dollars. So if you know if you know the show, you know the show. Um, but yeah, so I worked for them for years. It was not great. <laughs> But what I'm Bye saying is that chaotic. people should ask Joelle for home improvement and redecoration advice. I have many thoughts. And <laughs> if I don't know, I know somebody who does know. I'll get you the hookup. Hell yeah. I finally introduced house plants to my house recently. <gasps> Good job. Lovely. Major, Do you have a green thumb? So I always thought I had an opposite of a green thumb because when I was in mm. elementary school, they were like, it's plant a tree day. And they like just give you a pine tree and then you like take it home and you plant it and mine died. And so then I was like, I don't know how to I guess grow that's stuff. not for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I like never did it ever again. And then now I'm like a prepper and live in the woods. And I'm like, I need to grow food. Yeah. So right now I have some like beans growing and some, I think, spearmint and some other stuff. But I have house plants finally. 
I, I grew it. really random shit. I grew some potatoes last year because I felt like I'd be a poser if I didn't because we used to like do this whole potato bit on this show a lot. <laughs> potatoes are great. I know, they're they are they're really good. survivalists. Uh, they will not die, and they're delicious in many, many, many forms. And yeah. An excellent plant to choose to grow. Yeah. What are your house plants? I can't even remember the name. One spider plant. You can't. Okay. Kill, you can't. I know kill a good that. old spider plant. Yeah, I got yeah. the like can't kill ones. Okay, industrial strength plants. Got yeah. it. But I'm like. Because I was like, I have a, I have a anti-green thumb, and I'm going to kill them. And then I'm like, I actually don't. I'm like a reasonably responsible person. I have a, like a pretty set schedule. I don't have a problem watering my plants once a week. Like, uh, uh, what have I convinced myself? I've convinced myself that I'm incapable of taking care. Of. Anyway, um, your your spider plant will be fine. My spider plant currently lives on top of my freezer, getting no light, and I barely water it and remember it's there, and it looks great. Yeah. <laughs> next time we talk margaret i bet you have like nine plants yeah that's what with, happens like mist mist i don't know what those mist disperser things are yeah. and special lights and shit oh, yeah humidifier amazing i can't wait the other voice that you're hearing is sophie that's me sir now if you want to talk plants you you can talk to me on the internet about that i would love yeah. to talk to you about plants I think that people like, because like people like randomly contact podcasters to be like, I want to talk to you about these very specific things. And they're always the wrong specific things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, Especially when people get mad at me about mispronouncing. I mispronounced a word, name of an Irish town last week and no one will let me live my life. Leave Margaret alone about that, <laughs> but message me The about Irish plants. love to do that across. There's multiple podcasts I've heard from where they're like trying to say something from an Irish space and inevitably here comes yeah. the whole school. People be like, that's not it. Your language is tricky and we're doing our best. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I look up so many pronunciations before I write these scripts, but I have one week to write these scripts. <laughs> um, <laughs> and since I like give myself weekends because my, uh, my heroes fought and died for those things. <laughs> yeah. Like anyway, um, I don't remember why we're talking about that. Oh, but you can can message us about plants. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of people who have plants, Ian, our editor, I remember the first ah. well, the first time when I interviewed him to 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 be like, please work for us. Mostly, it was mostly me being, please pick me, uh, and not mm -hmm. and, and not actually interviewing him. He had a plant and he knew how to take care of it, and I was like, that's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Ian. That was all it took to convince you. Yeah. Like, Hi, this Ian. guy. You did not take much. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I was like, do you Ian. understand my basketball jokes? You do. That's an alive <laughs> plant. Anyways, our theme songs by Unwoman. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Sophie's like, Margaret, you're fucking dropping the ball. <laughs> also, hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. Oh, yeah. Everyone say, has to say hi, Ian. Before we hi, continue. Ian. So fun. So fun. Okay. So this is part two on a two-parter about the Black Panther Party and particularly about their survival programs, although you can't talk about those without talking about the larger movement that they came out of, right? And so that's, that's what we're talking about today. And if you didn't hear part one, then part of part two will make sense. But honestly, your life will be better served if you go back and listen to part one. We had some hot cereal takes, y'all. Like, That's I true. mean, you really don't want to miss that conversation. It's vital. That's true. I have, I mostly eat oatmeal now. Um, 
because it's just as fast because mm-hmm. I use instant oatmeal because I am not picky. And then like cereal, you can put like a banana in, right? But yeah, oatmeal, you can, you can mm-hmm. put a banana or peanut butter or uh, nuts. You can do your golden raisins in there. Yeah. You can do uh, extra cinnamon if that's your drive. Oatmeal is great, especially I think when you live in wilderness. I used to live in wilderness and uh, you have a hot bowl of oatmeal. You feel very connected to the land of the people who've lived here before. You're like, this This is a meal we've been eating for a long time. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And it still hits. Yeah. Add a little apple in there in the fall. Stop it. Oh, Amazing. apple's good. So the survival programs of the Black Panther Party. These are their most successful programs. And they started because of their connections to black religious communities. When I first started this podcast... I kind of thought I'd be like, oh, I'm going to like write back in all of the like women and anarchists and other people who are written out of all this history, right? Hell yeah. And I still do that. And I'm going to do that here a little bit because we're going to talk about both women and anarchists and the Panthers. But but the thing that keeps coming up at least as much as, as anything else is that religio- religiosity is also written out of a lot of these histories, especially if you're mm. reading it from like a radical point of view. A lot of the radical points of view are like more atheistic, right? Sure. And so like... People are like, oh, well, the Panthers had this survival program. And if they mention it's at a church, it's just like, oh, because that's where there's a building. That was a location that would do it. Yeah. There were religious aspects of the Panthers. This is not like a majority thing. I'm not claiming there's a religious movement. There are religious people who are involved in it, whether you have Protestants in Oakland, Black Catholics in Chicago, or Yoruba and Islam in the New York Panthers. The religious aspects are absolutely a part of it. And... Reverend Earl A. Neal is a black Episcopal pastor. He's still around, I think. He lives in South Africa now. He moved there in the 90s to help fight apartheid. And he walked his first picket line when he was seven years old. He was all over the civil rights movement. He went to the South to register voters. I think he was, I forgot to write where he was from. He's from the upper Midwest somewhere, uh, maybe Minneapolis, but I didn't write that down. And uh, and he ends up going to Chicago for a while, and he ends up um, organizing marches. He works to root out racism in the Episcopal hierarchy. And then he moves to Oakland in the late 60s and pretty quickly starts throwing down with the Panthers. He never joined formally, but he let the Panthers meet at his church, and they would come unarmed in, in deference to the church, right? And one night, he sheltered some Panthers, and I actually think, this is my conjecture, I think he saved their lives. Because cops came in force to arrest the Panthers at one of their meetings. This is the day before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And it is three days before Bobby Hutton was murdered, right? Oh, boy. It is entirely possible that the cops were there to murder the Panthers. That does not feel outside of the realm of possibility to me at all. Reverend Neal went outside and basically is like, you can't come in. And they're like, Ah, drat. And then they leave. Again, they they, they met the line of, uh, I have to respect this figure. Yeah. They're the head of a church. God would not like that no matter what the color. It's yeah. a bad look for me. Wow. What a brave person. Because you never know. Some people may not adhere to that. <laughs> that ideal. It's crazy. Yeah. He, he went out alone and he'd like talked them down and like had them go away. You know, um, there's like, I read his take on the whole thing. And yeah, it's just like. First, he gets first. He's like, you don't need all these cops here if you're just here because the, the cops were like, oh, we're here because we heard there was like a black man with a gun around. Right. Mm. And like, this is just literally not true. Right. 
Um, of course, they, they, they don't need to tell the they truth. Came They're not interested. Yeah. A few days later, his church held a joint memorial service for Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Hutton. And er- Earl Neal has been called the spiritual advisor to the Black Panthers, and he wrote about religion for their newspaper. He wrote like four different front page articles over the years for them. In January 1969, his church, St. Augustine's Episcopal Church in West Oakland, started the first free breakfast for children program that the Panthers ran. Um, they feeding kids before they went off to school. And he helped some, right? He was like part of it, but a parishioner named Ruth Beckford Smith gets the real credit is the, the woman who started the most successful program that the Panthers did. I actually don't know one way or the other, whether she was like a registered Panther, but one of the things that's kind of interesting, right? Is the Panthers, they peaked at about 5,000 members, but their newspaper is going to, yeah, their newspaper is going to a quarter of a million people. And there are like, it is a larger thing than just the core membership, you know? Yeah. The Wow. Yeah. Their impact was literally everywhere I at some point. I don't know how much longer after this they like spread to New York and, and really go like, cross-national, but that, wow. Yeah. To do that with just 5,000 people is very impressive. Yeah, no, and that's with all of the different Mem- all the different uh, chapters. Yeah, no, and they changed the world with 5,000 people. Like, mm-hmm. And so Ruth Beckford Smith and uh, Reverend Neil, they, they draw up a meal plan. I, the thing I read didn't tell me what was on it. I'm kind of sad for that. Um, they cleaned the place so it would pass health inspections. And then they opened the doors. And the first day, they had 11 kids. By the end of the week, they were feeding 135 kids. Wow. A couple months later, another church in San Francisco opened its doors for another breakfast program on the other side of the bay. Before too long, there's 36 free breakfast programs across the country, and they're feeding 10,000 children a day. That's so beautiful. I know. And these programs fucking ruled. They were generally in black neighborhoods, but they were open to kids of all races. Uh, We're going to talk more about their multiracial organizing in a little bit when we talk about Chicago. One thing that kind of blew my mind, a lot of these kids had literally never eaten breakfast before. Wow. That is like, it's like every now and then it's like, like poverty looks different in different times in different places for different people, right? But like reading about some of the Panther stuff where they're like, these kids don't have shoes and have never eaten breakfast. You know, like. Yeah, it's the line we're often sold that this stuff happens in other countries and how sad that is for them. Yeah. Uh, This is our backyard. It happens here as well. It is an issue. It could be easily solved, it sounds like. I mean, obviously, maximum effort was put in, but it was done quickly and efficiently and helped so many people so quickly. The bar was not that high. Yeah, that's that. Wow. They're giving it their first breakfast. And and also when you start thinking about the way real community activism creates chain reactions of success, you know, mm-hmm. we in the last episode we talked about the benefits of a breakfast and how much that can just change a kid's ability to learn within a day. So you've not only done that, but you've also removed a burden from a parental figure who probably didn't have the money, who probably yeah. knows their kid is hungry, who you know, for whatever, or, you know, now they don't have to cook it. They don't have to like, that's in maybe an hour they get back in their day, which, yeah. you know, is vital to caregivers. Uh, that's amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I'm, I'm really glad you point all that out because there's just so many effects of this. Instead of just being like, oh, it's like some free food, right? And people are like, oh, some free food. That's cool. Free food's mm-hmm. great. You know, and then being like, no, this is a, this matters, you know? Yeah. Um, and most of these free breakfast programs are run by women, uh, both Panthers and non-party volunteers. At this point, membership of the Panthers is about two-thirds women. One thing that I read was that basically, like the Panthers started off mostly men, right? Um, and then they very quickly became majority women. And Part of that apparently is like different people have just kind of different takes on it. But one part of it is that early male leadership was on the run in jail or killed. And so women came in and got shit done. This makes a lot of sense too. Uh, I told you in the previous episode, I've been reading a lot about slave revolts. We know from mostly contextual history, which Margaret, I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's trying to read between the lines of historical documents to figure out the truth. Mm-hmm. Um but we know most of them were led by women. And the theory is because, to be honest, they were being used for sex uh, and often not chained up. They had access to tools. And because they were women, they were not considered threats. Well, bam, yeah. now you're shot. What you going to do? You got a revolt on your hands. Brilliant. So this is not surprising to me at all if we think about the history of Black women in this country that, you know, they took the lead when there was an opportunity to. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, and there's like, and there's like complicated conversations that women in the Panthers were having around like, well, why are we in the fucking kitchen? Right. Ooh. But also like, well, we're going to get this shit done because it needs to get done, you know? And so like, mm-hmm. there's this complicated back and forth about like, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, it's so interesting to hear if you listen to uh, second wave feminists, particularly second wave black feminists, Mm -hmm. struggling with black liberation and women liberation and trying Mm -hmm. to educate the men in their lives while also liberating themselves while also dealing with white supremacy. Like it's, it's such a complex space to exist in. And here we have babies that need to be fed. They need food. We have the resources to do so. Why are there no men here? The yeah. babies have to get fed. We don't have time. Like, yeah, totally. What a difficult situation to be in. Totally. And so the way that they spread this across the country, they wrote up a manual of how to run a kitchen with the stuff that they've been learning. And each one of their kitchens, at least, I don't know if everyone was exactly the same, but in the manual, at least, it takes 10 volunteers and including crossing guards outside because they took this shit seriously. It was like, how do we get kids safely? Like, there's like people on crowd control and stuff. There's two cooks, um, but it takes 10 people to build up everything else around that. And the the crossing guards was the touch where I was like, yeah, these people fucking thought it through. Yeah. Yeah. Food and or money for food was donated by various black owned businesses. And this is like, I think this part's kind of funny. It's the part, like, there's a lot of stuff that gets, like, left out of the histories because people want to whitewash something. But, like, some of the things that are mm-hmm. a little bit, like, sketchier, I think are just Hell as yeah. cool. You know? Like... Yes, of course. So, many of the Black-owned businesses gave super voluntarily. Other ones, the Panthers were like, man, everyone else around here is helping feed the kids who live here. Sure would be a shame if no one came to your store anymore because they knew that you weren't helping out. 
a reasonable and decent threat if I've ever heard one. Because all you're really saying is, I'm going to tell people you don't support your community. Yeah. And let's find out what happens then. Yeah. That is... I mean, that's just justice. Like, either how, this is such a good program is actively working, and you can come off a few dollars to help the kids who are going to come back here and frequent your store at some point. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I read this one, like, right wing account of the survival programs, and it was like talking about this, like, boycott of uh, Bob's liquor store. Um, I don't remember what city it was in. And it was actually specifically that he wouldn't donate to the, like, shoes for kids program. So they organized a, a boycott against him. And, you know, it's like, see, they're like a mafia trying to suppress this good entrepreneur or whatever. And I'm like, no, I mean, like, it's one thing if someone's like, hey, I need a new car. You better give us some money. And it's another thing. The kids in this neighborhood don't have shoes. You make a lot of money in this neighborhood. Maybe you can help out. And if you don't, that's fine. No one's going to shop here. Yeah, they're not bringing baseball bats to break your knees. Like, calm down. I'm also... Infinity perplexed by the idea that somehow being a business owner makes you any kind of good. I know. Uh, it's such a weird bar for people to be like, yeah, you know, he's got a business. I can trust that guy. I'm like, yeah. Daniel? Okay. Yeah. Upstanding member of the community. Like, all right, whatever. Um, you mean he has a nicer house than some of the other people in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the, the carrot to match the boycott stick was that they gave advertising to their to the donators in the Panther newspaper. And... One thing I got really excited about, I really liked Jimi Hendrix when I was younger, when I was a kid. He regularly supported the Seattle program. Like, I don't think he just, like, gave them money once. I think he was, like, he he gave regularly. The implication is that he's supported the the Seattle wow. free breakfast program. That's, oh, man. You love, you love to hear your heroes doing dope shit. Yeah. Like, when you talk to women who hung around Jimmy, they're like, no, he was a sweetheart. And he just <gasps> I'm loved. I'm so glad. He just loved women and they just loved him and he had survived a bunch of horribly abusive men. And so he just loved women. And I was like, what an icon. That makes me so happy. That's the like, whenever there's like a man I look up to, I'm like, do I want to know? Do I want to read about how what women think of him? It's definitely a closed eyes and mouth situation where you're just like, I don't want to look. If it's presented to me, I will observe. But I would just... Can I, I just really want to believe you're a good person, but yeah. also I'll just never support a man verbally. I'll never be out here being yeah. like, and this guy, you can trust. No, trust yeah. no man. <laughs> but you know what you can trust? Oh no, oh, words are terrible. No. Oh, About no. as well as you can trust a random stranger on there the you street. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> eh? <sighs> That's good. That's advertisers. We're brought to you today by breakfast. Eat breakfast. If you don't eat breakfast, maybe you have reasons and you don't want to hear about why you should. And uh, maybe <laughs> then definitely then eat don't. brunch. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite meals. Ever. Yeah. Um, but eat food when you're hungry. That's the only advertiser. And if any others slip in, that is a mistake, and you can write to our complaint department at I write okay on X. I'm gonna keep calling it Twitter. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm almost like being ruder to it by calling it X because I'm like <laughs> this fucking bullshit thing. Here's like, zero SEO for your website. I'm just gonna type in X. Yeah, you still have to type in Twitter.com. <laughs> Endlessly yeah. confusing. Yeah. Endlessly yeah. confusing. Anyway, here's breakfast. 
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. So, all the cop watching and arms standoffs and shit, they appeal to one chunk of the black population, the more confrontational chunk. The free breakfast program made a much wider group of people uh, into Panthers and their supporters. One in three black kids in the city of Minneapolis ate their breakfast there. About 12,000 kids total. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, my little heart. School administrators immediately noticed students doing better. Um... And they didn't have to wait decades. Now we have science to back this up. But like administrators would just like come in and be like, you all are doing the fucking Lord's work. Like, I guess most people don't say fucking Lord's work. People usually say one or the other. The real ones do, Margaret. (laughs) The real ones do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They were like, the kids aren't falling asleep in class anymore. And like, not everyone's Mm -hmm. grouchy all the time. Right. And... I'd heard about this program time and time again, right? This is, looms very large in the, the radical history of the United States, and for very good reason. I actually skirted around the Panthers in like probably a dozen episodes at this point. So, and there were some things that people would say about the breakfast program that I wasn't sure if were true. People were like, oh, the free breakfast program was really what scared the government way more than the armed marches. So I looked it up. Yep. That's true. Women's work scared the shit out of the FBI because it made the Panthers look good. It showed that very clearly that the existing system was not functioning, right? Mm -hmm. To quote FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, who'd already announced that the Panthers uh, were the number one domestic threat to U.S. security, which is impressive, 5,000 people, right? Mm. He said about the breakfast programs, quote, 
The program represents the best and most influential activity going for the BPP and as such is potentially the greatest threat to efforts by authorities to neutralize the BPP to dest- and destroy what it stands for. Feeding black children. I hate it. Yeah. So evil. Definitely the thing that could bring this great nation to her knees. Yeah. Well-fed children in school. You yeah. cowardly bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Oh, it's so, it's so. When you, there's um, a Tupac documentary. It's a series on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Stay with me. His mother, as I'm sure you know, maybe yeah. we get into her later, member of the Black Panther Party. She's, she's come up a couple times, and she's going to be in one of the court cases I'm going to talk about later. Okay, so I won't get into her. But, but there's cool a clip. Yeah. She is fucking epic and was yeah. till her dying day, like amazing human yeah. being. Um, She raised her son in the Black Panther Party. He was sort of being raised to be a leader in the Black Panther Party. This documentary yeah. explores a lot of that. But within it, there's this clip of them, a bunch of like young dudes teachers maybe in their mid-30s talking to very young boys like seven eight nine max Mm -hmm. and they're asking them how old are you me i'm six no you're not you're five okay yeah no no no, no, you're you're, like how old are you you know i'm i'm I'm, I'm six and they're like no you're five um okay five they're like don't no no they're like don't let someone change the way you think don't let someone they're teaching them about how they're going to be conditioned and giving them tools so early to navigate like a system that's they like it's it's crazy to be a black parent i can't imagine doing it myself to like no you have to send your kids out into a society that actively hates them um to have a, a black panther party that is doing a lot of the work that is often left to parents be like Here's how you think your way out of racism actively in a moment. Because when you, you experience an act of hate or prejudice, a lot of times your system shuts down. You really have to be trained to use the tools to survive. And yeah. the Black Panther Party, by creating a space like the breakfast program that could allow children to gather safely before school and then having these t- people in there who are educated and prepared to teach them about how to navigate those systems. I mean, it. It's so crazy to think about how that was demonized, how efficiently and effectively that was demonized. And to see it still happening legally across this country, the way they're trying to rewrite the laws of what can be taught at school and things like that. Ooh, it's sickening and it's hard. It's hard to hear about all these lovely things, knowing we are still fighting these fights and trying to get these very basic programs that clearly worked. I know. (laughs) Like instilled. And it's like, if teaching people the truth about race relations in America destroys America, then America deserves to be destroyed. 2,000%. If you have to hide the truth to, to be comfortable, then what have you sacrificed? It's, yeah. it's, it's not worth it. And also, it's only creating comfort for you. Literally, nobody else is comforted by this yeah, misinformation. Totally. It's yeah. so damning and hurtful. It is... Yeah. I, I'm trying to imagine being in educator or an institution of learning in florida right now and my heart is just with them what an uphill battle yeah i i honestly can't imagine and then there's like everyone's being like oh if you're trans you got to get out of florida and it's like do you know most of us are poor and like do you know an awful lot of us like not me i have a good family that loves me a lot of us are like kicked out of our families and don't have like things to fall back on like how the fuck do you think all the trans kids are supposed to like leave florida 
You know, I also think fuck you if you tell people to leave the South as yeah. if a the problem yeah. is consistently it's only congregated there. This is a national problem, not a specific Southern mm-hmm. problem. And on top of that, we know that like Florida has a huge queer population, a huge queer population of people yeah. who are just loving and having families down there. And many of them have been redlined out of existence in the same way that they do with black, brown, indigenous people. Yeah. So to tell people like, oh, just leave, like the problems won't follow them. Like they haven't made a home here. Like they don't deserve to stay in yeah. Texas or Louisiana or wherever they feel like is their home. It's just crazy to me to be like, you change, not those fuckers change. Yeah. Yeah, like, and if people do, you know, like, I, I've always been like, look, if you feel like you got to leave for safety, leave for safety. If you feel like you're going to stay and fight because you have no choice or because you want to, full support. Mm-hmm. Support yeah. people who stay, support people who go, just support people who are fucking dealing with oppression, you know? And like, yeah, but like, no teaching the actual truth about history in this country. It's just like, if you... Slavery had a positive effect. Oh my it's god! Sends me. And then, like everyone that they list with, <laughs> like learned their trades after, and whatever. Anyway, I just yeah, no, just the lack of logic, the lies you want people you know. to swallow. Uh, Do you think that they'd be okay with it? You know, like being like, oh, okay, then like let's. It, ugh, people get mad at me no matter what I say about this, but like you know, be like, oh. Let's enslave you then. Would you want to be enslaved? No, you wouldn't. Then shut the fuck up. If you right, right. There's you can't spin being owned. There's yeah. no spin on it. Yeah. It is a crazy thing to tell someone. Hey, it was fine that we owned people. Yeah, they liked it. It wasn't. Here, I have a statement from a white person about his black slaves because we have actual tapes from actual people, most of whom were enslaved as children. Yeah, who are telling the stories about how they grew up in slavery and even the ones who were like yeah he was all right we're still like it was a horrible institution to have to live under and i fucking hated it and you can't yeah. get past the idea that someone owns every decision you can't move past it you can't yeah. do anything like that is a bananas thing to try to sell yeah. <laughs> it, it is them so absurd it yeah. is beyond and it's like and you the, what's really maddening is like i hate middle of the road white folks were like they're learning or that just happens over there or they don't know what they're saying. They know exactly what the fuck they're saying. It's like, there's not any confusion here. It's being done very on purpose. They're not stupid. This is what they want. It is so infuriating. I can't believe we don't, I can't, I don't know how we get the Black Panthers back in working shape. It's just, I really, community activism is so hard. It's so, it's such an uphill battle. Yeah, because I I think that a lot of the systems that they use to crush the early 70s movements, like, I think that capitalism is, like, really good at recuperating things, and it's really good at, like, finding and patching its weaknesses, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, like, often Mm -hmm. the same kind of thing is not necessarily effective, although there's so much we can still, like, learn and, like, you know, keep trying, because even, like, Things like the Black Panthers, people kept trying them over and over and over again. It wasn't like Huey P. Oh, Newton yeah. and Bobby Seale were the first people who were like, hey, what if we just get some shotguns and start following cops around? Right? No, and we see activism frequently. It, the other problem, I think, is activism has horrible PR. Yeah. <laughs> like, like trying mm-hmm. to show people like this. It's weird. People are like, oh, we had a movement in 2020 and now it's over. And I was like, I would just like you to know there are people actively fighting on your behalf. Yeah. Many of them have gotten into small and local government. 
call yours and find out who's working there. Look into voting. <laughs> like active work is happening all around you, but it's just, it's so hard to see and progress is so egregiously slow Yeah, that it's, yeah, I, I think it gets missed a lot. But I do think a lot of positive things are happening. It's slow and then it's fast, right? Sure, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it can't do the fast if you're not also putting in the work. Like it's like every time you go out and do some activist thing, whatever type of organization, most of the time you live a quiet, poorly paid life where you do harm reduction in your community. And every now and then it's the spark that changes everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So I, I want to uh, figure out where I'm at my script, but so this is the most successful of, they have about 60 different survival programs going. Okay. And these are eventually called survival programs. They don't actually start that way. The first one, I believe, is the pre-breakfast program. And the concept here is survival pending revolution. Because one of the things I actually don't want to leave out of it mm -hmm. is that they are, a, they are a Marxist organization. They're a communist organization. Not everyone involved has the same ideological headspace, but the organization is structured right. in that way and actively pushing for this. And so they are pushing to have a revolution in the United States. And they're part of the new left, which is fighting for a revolution in the United States. And... But they realize that's not going to be overnight, like what kind of what we were just talking about. They're fighting for survival pending revolution is their, the way that they phrase the survival programs. Basically, it's does no good to overthrow capitalism if everyone's dead already, right? And they did so many things. They led blood drives for local hospitals. They opened free medical centers. They did door-to-door -door sickle cell anemia testing. They did free grocery delivery. They did prescription delivery services, especially for like older folks. They had the free shoes for kids program. They had volunteer ambulance services. Like, fuck, we got to bring that back. No one, I like. I mean, good Lord, that would be helpful. Yeah. You ever see the like the thing where they add like a, a camera person from the US like asks a random British person like how much they think an ambulance costs? Yeah, and they're always just completely bowled over. They're like, what? My favorite is when they get to like, and how much do you think it costs to have a baby in America? Yeah. They're like, 450 Oh, sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> so much higher. Yeah. Oh, God. Soon they start their own schools. And they start, I think, with after-school programs, but eventually they have what they call liberation schools. Mm -hmm. One of their elementary schools, in 1977, the governor and the legislature of, of California gave it an award for, quote, having set the standard for the highest level of elementary education in the state. And it's worth... A horrible organization that will bring America to its knees. I just cannot. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, if America's hurts. brought to this knees by teaching kids the truth, Oh, what does God. that They're say They're the best about? educated. Why do you not want to duplicate this? Yeah. That is... Wow. All right. Here we go. And so this is like... Literally, the state of California being like, oh, actually, y'all fucking rule and you did really well. And 1977 is after the Panthers had mostly collapsed as an organization, yet the survival programs actually often outlived the organization that spawned them, which is another thing that gets forgotten about about activism, is that everything you do has knock-on effects, right? Yeah. In Oakland, the Panthers started, this is one of my favorites that they started, Seniors Against a Fearful Environment or SAFE. And what was happening was that uh, older folks would go to cash their pension checks and kept getting mugged. Um, I think oh in Oakland God. at the time, it was like almost half of the people getting mugged were senior citizens. 
Jesus Christ. So the Panthers escorted them to and from the bank. And that's an example of community defense if I've ever seen one, you know? That's such a lovely act. It's so simple and helpful. And you get to meet an old person who always have great stories. I know. Oh, that is wonderful. I really like that one. And then one of the things, I'm now off script again. One of the things that the Panthers did, and actually I, I some of this I run across from like the right-wing people who hate them, because you find out different shit by reading the people who support them and the people who hate them. And obviously both of them are biased as shit, right? Yes. And I'm biased as shit. I, I'm overall a, like them. I have uh, organizational critiques of their structure, whatever. Anyway, but like, it's just to be upfront about my, my own biases. But they, um, they were often recruiting from what, in Marxist terms, you would call the lumpen proletariat. Rather than like the workers, you're recruiting like the criminals and the like unemployed and the people who don't exist very well within the existing economic system. And so like the fact that you're getting all of these people who like sort of just like used to run around and do crime are now escorting folks to the bank and they're using all the same skill sets, right? Like they might've used to mug people, you know? <laughs> and like what an op, what a clearly better system than prisons is like get all the people who do this to use their skills to like keep people safe, you know? When you can empower, especially when we know most crime happens out of like destitution, like Absolutely. I need to eat, I need to clothe myself, I am yeah. in need of mental services, whatever. When you can empower someone to say, hey, I see you, I see your skill set, I'll employ you or give you a purpose and call, like you invite yeah. them back into society, which is such a, a beautiful way of healing. Um, if I may just plug uh, Oya Shirils, who is a community activist and a survivor of crime, has this amazing true crime podcast called Survivors Heal. And instead of focusing on the crime and the perpetrators, focuses on survivors and mm. what healing actually looks like. And in it, I think one of her very first episodes, like her first or second one, she has the sister of a murderer victim talk to her brother's murderer. Um, they have a wow. full conversation. It's yeah. so powerful. And they talk about She's like, you going to prison does not heal the hurt I yeah. have. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah. And I also think that's the, the core of all great activism says we are a community. We are not looking for yeah. standout individuals or superstars or people with like, none of that matters. We're all people. What skills you contribute and how can you help essentially, <laughs> or how can we help you? Whatever the case may be. Yeah. Oh, glorious. There's this thing, again, I'm completely off script now. So if I get details wrong, I'm sorry. Um, there's this book I really like called Angels with Dirty Faces by Walida and Marisha. And it's a, a abolitionist perspective on, you know, it, it's it's conversations with three different prisoners. Um, mm -hmm. And in it, she talks about like, as she did the work, you know, like many black, like almost all black people in America, she was robbed of her knowledge of her ancestry and, and mm -hmm. all of those things. And she's done a lot of work around that. And um and I don't remember the name of the um, culture that she comes from. And I'm, I'm sorry, Walida, if you're listening. But she talks about this thing that really stuck out to me is like when when someone did something wrong in the culture that she she learned she was from, you know, they would take the person who had done wrong and they 
set them up against a tree and then one by one people would come up and say really nice things about that person and basically just shame them into being better being like you can be your best self instead of your worst self you know talk about healing i mean if people hurt people like and you yeah. give them space to lift them up and show a whole community of people hey we see you we see all of the good they, like why did this happen how can we help so it doesn't happen again? You you don't have to do these things to feel love or be seen or yeah. have what you need. Oh, I love community <laughs> so much. But you know, this isn't an ad transition. You know who hates community? Uh-oh. The FBI. Oh, they really fucking do. So they flip out about the survival programs, especially yep. the breakfasts. And they go crazy overboard into as much as they can. They <laughs> spread rumors that the food is poisoned. They regularly raided the feedings as an intimidation tactic. And the thing to remember about that, that means their goal, their specific goal, is to traumatize children. Yeah. The panther's goal was to feed children. And so, yeah, anyway. So the FBI would forge letters to send to food donators to get them to stop. I don't entirely know what these look like. The FBI would forge all kinds of letters during this period, right? It could be like, hey, we don't need you anymore. Or like, fuck you. We hate you. Sign the Black Panthers. You're number one enemy. <laughs> they went door to door telling parents that the Panthers were going to turn their kids into racists. And, and like, I think that this is... I mean, again, I'm going to talk about their multiracial organizing in a minute. The Panthers, I, I believe that the way we've currently defined racism as like involving both bigotry and uh, societal, like systemic advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Means, but like the the Panthers were really explicitly not anti-white. Yeah, they were anti-white power, mm -hmm. which is what we live in right now. Mm -hmm. So this is. Just completely a lie, right? And uh, whatever. Anyway, in Chicago, the cops, to quote one Panther, quote, the night before the first breakfast program in Chicago was supposed to open, the Chicago police broke into the church, mashed up all the food, and urinated on it. Um, it's impossible to imagine holding that much hate for children yeah. in your heart. Yeah, pee on the food that was meant to nourish them. Like it's, it's it, I can't. I literally couldn't imagine doing that to like my. If I had an enemy and yeah. they had a child, that yeah. I just, you, you, it's impossible to house. It, you understand, uh, Tupac's thug life mentality so much more when you think about that being an environment in which he grew up, when you think about yeah. seeing that up close and personal from a very young age, I am both glad I was shielded from it and uh, set. it took so long to learn about it. And it makes, I feel like it makes things a lot clearer, unfortunately. Yeah. Just how much the FBI hated the black community, you know, our children, our babies. Yeah. And this reminds me of how the border guard today regularly goes and slashes up water drops left for people dying of thirst in the desert. The goddamn razors on buoys. Yeah, the fucking, like, was it yesterday or something that we learned yeah. that the murder buoys, which we're already murder buoys, and then we have, like, mm -hmm. random circular saw blades on them, like, which is just, like, 
It's like when you put a skull on your Mad Max mobile, you know? Yeah. Like it's just a like, yeah. and by the way, this is to murder. Also, we really, really hate you. Like just yeah. so you know. Yeah. That is, I just, uh, I, again, I just can't, I can't fathom uh, feeling so entitled that I would be like, it is worth your life, which essentially makes me a murderer. I'm sorry if you install these things, you are complicit in murder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's true in, in legally. If you set up a booby trap in your house, you are responsible for the the harm caused by that booby trap. Like, it is not legal to set up booby traps that hurt people. Yeah. That is an yeah. existing legal structure. Oh, boy. And just for people trying to find some player some place safe to be uh mm -hmm. that's cruel i don't understand how you don't see that makes you the devil like i just yeah, like, I, know. I don't understand that you could be like no i'm definitely right for this it's fine if you're like no i am the devil and i enjoy it. okay then I, that's yeah. who you are and i'm glad we're all aware of it yeah, but for like, the folks who are like this is the best thing we can do as human beings this is the best possible solution yeah. to the problem as i see it insane insane yeah Ugh. This did not stop the free breakfast programs. Of course it fucking didn't. We have to feed children. Yeah. They didn't stop until the Panthers themselves were stopped. And in some cities, the programs outlived the Panthers themselves. And then one of the major lasting impacts of the program is that it embarrassed the federal government into setting up their own. They had a... In 1966, they like originally set up like a maybe we should feed kids thing, but they didn't like do it. They didn't follow through. They're like, we yeah. should do that, but how? And where would that money come from? And we'll yeah. get a committee to figure it out in five years. It's fine. It took them nine years. In 1975, oh, shit. the federally funded school breakfast program was launched. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Not we had a template and these things set up in less than a year. What did you say? Yeah. 70,000 kids fed in a single year. They're like, it'll yeah. take us nine damn you government what the fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god but if you want not free breakfast you could buy it if one of the ads you hear is for a meal kit service. yum yum o's get you some that's back to cereal <laughs> here's some ads this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. 
like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. Okay, so there's another part of the Panthers organizing that I don't think is talked about enough. Because of the 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 story gets told of the like, oh, there's some like gun-wielding people who are like pretty cool in some ways and bad in other ways, and and they all like and I don't know, whatever. This is this very simplified story. Mm. Doesn't talk about another thing that scared the shit out of the government, which was interracial and cross-cultural organizing. Mm. And this is exemplified most clearly in the Chicago chapter and specifically its leader, Fred Hampton. Whether or not that's like truly... Well, Fred Hampton fucking ruled. I'm not trying to downplay that. Obviously, other people working were also all part of this and sometimes only individuals are remembered. But it's not like he's trying to accrue social credit. Uh, spoiler alert, he, he dies. But he was murdered. Yes, yeah. On April 4th, 1969, three groups came together and started the Rainbow Coalition. It was the Black Panthers, who were the most established group, and so they provided a lot of the leadership and organizing models. And then the Young Lords, see our four-parter on them, representing Puerto Rican radicals. And then the always fun to mention Young Patriots. Have you ever heard of the Young Patriot organization? Okay, so coming out of a Tea Party era, that's the first thing I think of. I... Imagine they're very different. They are so amazing and they sound so bad. They are white, self-identified hillbillies who fly the Confederate flag, who are revolutionary socialists, who are part of a coalition with the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, and several other uh, organizations to try to overthrow the government and capitalism and end racism. Here's why I love this. There's many reasons. One, I love Hillbilly. I was taught yeah. by one. We literally called him Hillbilly. He was great. He was a redneck if he stood out in the sun for two seconds. He, he called himself that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Hillbillies, by their very nature, are just people who live in hills and want to yeah. eat good and make some music and chill yeah. with their family. Very cool people. Uh, I love the the misguidedness of, of being like the rebel flag. It's like it was, it just yeah. Oh, so close, buddies. So, yeah. Oh, I get you. Let's design a new one for you. <laughs> oh man, but that is really oh, that's so wonderful. I had no clue that they were p- part of the Rainbow Coalition. Oh yeah, they're one of the founding members, and and their thing. They were Appalachian migrants, white Appalachian migrants to Chicago who faced classism and bigotry from the rest of the white establishment, right? Oh, amazing. Because they had accents, because they didn't do things right, because they were lower class instead of mm-hmm. middle class. And so soon, the Rainbow Coalition is joined by Students for a Democratic Society, which is mostly but not exclusively white, the Brown Berets, who are Latino socialists, the American Indian Movement, and the Red Guard, who are Chinese-American socialists. 
What a powerful group of people. Yeah. Around this time, the Panthers also committed themselves publicly to support of the feminist movement and the gay liberation movement. And I did not know the Black Panthers were for the gays. Oh, they were so for the gays. It's amazing. My little heart. Oh, no. <laughs> Besides, of course, Tupac's mom was gay as shit. Yes. A bunch of the others were. Quasi uh, uh, is gay as shit. We'll get to him again in a minute. But Fred Hampton, like, specifically has this great speech that's just like, the gays are oppressed. They shouldn't be. Fuck this. And and they did a lot of the Gay Liberation Front did a lot of its early organizing at uh, a Rainbow Coalition, like, uh, radical conference that happened, I think, in Philly. Um, again, I'm going off wow. of memory of old scripts I wrote. Um, I think I wrote more about that conference in the Gay Liberation Front episode. And then I also want to point out, there's an East-West split that's coming, and a lot of it's very cultural. But both sides of the split were pro-gay, even though the East Coast side was like more visibly so with Fred Hampton's mm-hmm. statements and a lot of the gay New Yorkers, right? Um, but also the original folks, totally down with the gays. My heart feels so good. I really love yeah. hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they like... They also threw down with religious groups, like religious radicals. Um, In Chicago, they occupied Catholic churches alongside white and black Catholics after the Catholic church was denying black priests in black neighborhoods. Um, And in return, a black priest regularly sheltered them from police in the Catholic churches. That's so beautiful. No, I wonder... Go ahead. No, I'm just... I am from Chicago, and we're mm-hmm. talking about the era of my parents being young. It's interesting to think my mother is Roman Catholic and went mm-hmm. to a church in Chicago. And I'm like, were these things happening around you? Did you hear about them? I know my father was a beneficiary of the free breakfast program. I'm going to see if he'll leave me a voicemail about it, and I can send it to you if he has any cool. like direct memories about uh, being That's fed cool. there. And I and I've never asked him about any of the other programs. If he like, did he get free shoes ever? I know. There were some struggle years in his youth. I don't know where that overlap is, but yeah, it's 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 uh, just whew, their ability to just um, be so open and just be like, if if all of the people are good, then we could all be good with each other, and it could be great. Uh, I'm not against yeah. you. <laughs> I'm just trying to live. That is, uh, yeah, and especially considering how many of these movements got their start in the church and the way churches mm-hmm. have often been. Uh, last safe havens for a lot of these folks. It makes sense that they would be like, we should bring these people into our fold as well. Yeah. And it like, you know, obviously the church is doing a lot of bad stuff. Honestly, like the black mm. priest who regularly sheltered them from the police. I didn't end up putting his name in it because I did more research and he was accused of um, inappropriate sexual contact God with the child a long time it. later, um, which is why you can't have nice things. Um, never give a man praise what did i say i know and he was like pra- mm. the church found him not guilty but the way that it was defined is real i'm not buying it that's why yeah. his name isn't in here um okay i had like a whole section written about him and then i'm like eh this guy doesn't need to be in here no 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 but yeah uh it was like all kinds of complication yeah and the, specifically the thing was that he um he was supposed to become whatever the priest of a church is or whatever, right? And then the the archbishop or whatever was like, nah, fuck you. And and it was pretty much completely because he was like trying to be in charge of a black, a, a, a church with a primarily black congregation. And they were right, like, it right. shouldn't just be white fucking priests in charge of, um, and you have this whole thing going on actually in the, we talk about in the Catholic workers episode. Anyway, whatever. And 
So I've probably told this anecdote on this show before, but one time I was talking to this old white coal miner in West Virginia about his time in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he said, basically, we used to go protest the Vietnam War and there were us on one corner, another corner were the gay activists, another corner were the black power folks. And pretty soon we figured out we were all a hell of a lot stronger if we all stood on the same corner. I love that. Yes. Yeah. That was a, a man who he uh, he got arrested in his like 70s or 80s uh, fighting against um, mountaintop removal where they just blow up the Appalachian Mountains in order to get the coal out. Um, and he was just a retired coal miner guy who fucking ruled. He sounds like a legend. Yeah. The Rainbow Coalition was a clear statement of solidarity. Everyone's showing up to everyone else's shit. They also started a free health clinic because that's just what late 60s radicals do. <laughs> that was like like the Young Patriots whole thing was that they like... Uh, would come with you to your um, medical appointment, right? If you're being mistreated by your doctors and stuff. They also, the Rainbow Coalition, brokered gang peace because that's also what late 60s radicals did. Yes. And if you read right-wing accounts of the Rainbow Coalition, it is a collection of street gangs. This is not inaccurate, but it is also not accurate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Young Lords in particular started as a, as a street gang. If we think about gangs, again, just a fundamental Mm -hmm. misunderstanding of like, what is the cause of the creation of a gang, which is community and support and safety. Yeah, it makes sense that they would move bilaterally with these types of movements. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Panthers are also somewhat regularly involved in shootouts with police. I don't want to whitewash them out of their militancy against the U.S. government and out of police in general. But... J. Edgar Hoover, he's like staying up late at night, rocking back and forth in his chair, muttering, a messiah, a messiah. Because specifically, he was worried that the Panthers might offer up a, quote, messiah, a leader uniting the masses. Mm. Which is like, not actually how movements work, I think. But like, they think it is, and that's why they murdered Malcolm X. But that didn't, well, Nation of Islam technically did. But you know, whatever, they mm-hmm. fucking helped out. I mean, they offered... Uh- MLK, so, you know, yeah, yeah. he was like, I gotta, I'm going to have to murder a new one. How do I stop it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So they, they did. They assassinated Fred Hampton. Horrifying. And, horrifying, horrifying shootout. Yeah. This isn't blurry. The government murdered him while he slept on December 4th, 1969. A, an informant uh, provided the FBI with a map of Fred Hampton's apartment and like, where his mattress was on the floor in the room or on a bed, I don't know, whatever, where the mattress was. I think it was on the floor. I've seen photos. Now I don't remember. This is a completely meaningless detail I'm using to detract my, distract myself from the emotional content of what I'm saying. So he provided the FBI with a map of Fred Hampton's apartment, and then he almost certainly dosed Fred Hampton with sleeping pills. Um, this was confirmed by the Cook County investigation that found drugs in his system, But the FBI was like, no, we looked too. And there was like no drugs in this system. But the Cook County uh, coroner was like, I stand by my statement. There were drugs in the system. There were barbiturates in the system. And Fred Hampton did not use, uh, I believe, drugs at all, but it's certainly not this type of drug. It was like a thing that was known about him. He fell asleep at 1.30 a.m. while mid-sentence talking to his mother on the phone. Um, And it makes me happy that the last person he got to talk to At 4 a.m., which is the time of every police raid ever, police stormed the place. They killed um, a man named Mark Clark, who was on security duty, uh, who had a shotgun in his lap. 
As he died, he fired one shot into the ceiling. This is the only round fired by the Panther side during this. And it gets used as like, see, it's a shoot. It's a two-way samey-samey, you know? A literal warning shot. Like, you cannot, it's the actual definition of a I, warning shot. I think he actually pulled the trigger. Like, I think he was dead. Like, he got shot. Oh, as he died, just yeah. up in the air. Yeah. But if it's up in the air and it's as he's dying, then the, he never pointed the gun at them. Which I think that seems also to be the case, yeah. Goes, Yeah. I thought um, I had always heard that it was like a trying to alert everybody. It might have been. But I guess if guns were already firing, what would they need to be alerted for? No, I, I mean, know. I don't know. You know, uh, I could I could see it either way. I read a, a couple accounts, but not like super in-depth accounts of this, yeah. you know. And Mark Clark was 22 years old when he died. Uh, he had once gone door to door from church to church to find one willing to host the Chicago Breakfast Program. I just want him to have a a life. I want him to be known yeah, as yeah. having done more than this one thing. Cops shot up the apartment. They fired between 82 and 99 shots. They killed Fred Hampton while he was drugged in bed next to Deborah Johnson, who was nearly nine months pregnant with her child. Uh, Mark and Fred and were the only two who were killed. No one fired around at the police. No cops were indicted for what happened. Um, 5,000 people came to his funeral. Which again goes to the like, yeah, sure, the Panther membership is 5,000 people nationwide. They clearly have a lot more support than that. Fred Hampton was like 22, too, He is right? 21, yeah. 21, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy. I, I wouldn't have known that except I just wrote it down. I'm not like being like, oh, I know. Yeah. No, um, no, no, no. No, yeah. it's, it's fine. I I I just yeah. knew he was young, like yeah. so young, and had so done much. so much already, and yeah. such a short time. And his mind yeah. was just so clear about the direction he wanted to move. It's horrifying to consider that. I mean, the person who most likely drugged him, and you know, those they were friends, they're colleagues. And there's a lot of evidence that they were coerced and oh, okay. uh, like, yeah, for, the, for a lot of what I it seems I, I would say either coerced or manipulated into this position, like really kind of bullied into it. And it's, it's devastating to consider um, that these things frequently were coming from inside the house. I yeah. mean, well, I know the trial we're getting to, and we could talk more about it there. Oh, we're actually not going to talk too much about the trial now. You could talk about okay. it if you want. I'll just say, well, do you want to, do you want to introduce the trial? I don't know if you have anything. No, I, I, I actually like, honestly, at this point, I'm going to go down to like, just kind of some of the stuff about how the Panthers fell apart. No, you should totally talk about it. Okay. All right. So finish Shakur, when she is on trial with the Black Panthers, there is a oh. lot of crazy stuff. I now know which trial you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it, like most of the cases brought against Black Panthers, total sham. Like, yeah. crazy sham. Afeni is such a good public speaker that the Black Panther Party raises enough money to get one of them out of prison. They've all been arrested, Holloway taken to prison. Uh, they get enough money. They're like, Afeni should go out because when she speaks, people listen. Yeah. And she can bring more people in so that they can become aware of our case. Not only is she out there giving, like, or orienting at, like, these big black rallies and stuff at concerts, like, pretty much anywhere black people gather, she's, like, in order telling them, like, this is what's happening in your communities, mm -hmm. people are in prison, we need to do something. 
she is simultaneously reading every document. Like she's basically also a lawyer. Yeah. She's not a lawyer, but she is like so smart and thinking so far ahead. And she decides to represent herself. Yeah. She represents herself and she gets cross-examine a fucking pig, excuse me, (laughs) who infiltrated the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And she gets him on the on the stand and the guy is talking about, oh, Black Panther Party is training kids to be racist and to be violent. And she's like, you were in the party. I think it's, oh gosh, guys, it's off the top of the dome, but I think it's like five or six years. Like he's heavily into the Black Panther Party, a leader in the Black Panther Party. And she gets him cornered and basically starts trying to figure out when you did this for the Black, when you were handing out guns for the Black Panther Party, do you do that as a Black Panther or as a cop? When you were having sex with members of the Black Panther Party, were you a Black Panther Party member then or were you a cop? It is for like an absolute tear down and for her to just be a citizen not somebody who has been trained in the theater of law yeah. to be able to do this to somebody who easily knows his rights probably knows his case backwards and forwards i mean she's beyond brilliant and i i swear to god i'll stop plugging this out but it's called dear mama it's a series and you learn just as much about tupac as you do about his mother and as you're learning about his mother and her time in the black party and all of these things she's done while in the black panther party and post black panther party Mm -hmm. it's such an interesting dichotomy uh when you think about the direction tupac's life took and and where he where his life ends when you think about all of the wonderful things the black panther party was trying to do for and with the youth yeah it's just it's just an incredible i learned so much but if any she's bomb and if you don't know anything about her like you should research her she's an incredible woman yeah she's come up like in a bunch of these episodes she was basically part of the stonewall revolt um because stop i didn't know this she's in the women's house of detention which is on stonewall right and all of these people seeing the rioting outside they start rioting and it's all of these gay women in prison and it was actually in prison that she realized that she was gay and she's like fucking like 21 or something i'm making up the age i don't remember but she's young as hell and so like the women revolting in the women's house of detention deserve to be included in the like original stonewall veterans you know Oh, iconic. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What a life. She's changed yeah. so much and, I, and eventually did start a school in Tupac's name, too, where she oh, wow. continued okay. to educate black children, which is. Yeah, I want to, like, honestly, I, if I ever do something specifically on the Panther 21, it'll probably center around her because. And the New York Panthers are, like, my favorite of them because of uh, whatever. We'll get to it. A lot happened with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, and then the other thing is, I remember, I remember she represented herself, and it was like something. I don't have the quote. She got the guy to admit he sucked. She got him to be like, "You're yeah. a traitor," and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a traitor <laughs> to the black community." Like something like that. Yeah. Again, she just grilled this guy. It's cool if yeah. you watch the doc. There's video. There's an audio tape of okay. the cross examination, and yeah, she's just got him so pinned because he, you can't at this point if when you've committed crimes as a black panther you cannot then stand behind your police uniform on this stand and call yourself a just human being and she drills that so acutely that by the end he's just he's defeated because it's not a quick examination it's not (laughs) he's on the stand for like two or three hours just you fucking suck you're a horrible person why did you do this gosh he was oh my god 
Yeah. I need to watch that documentary. That's like a whole period where I, I know less about and like, I don't know. In it, you learn Tupac once shot two cops in the ass and got away with it <laughs> because they were violently arresting a black man. And oh, he yeah. was driving by, saw it, and was like, not on my fucking watch. And got out. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, God. Watching that is the kind of energy the that started the Panthers, too, you know? Yes, exactly. It takes both. It takes the, like, parishioner who just wants to feed kids and the person who's like, man, fuck this cop. Like, you can't do yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not going to watch you arrest some dude yeah. just for drive. Like, no, get the fuck out of here. Not on our watch. It's a beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So, an awful lot can and has been said about what tore apart the Panthers. The most common version you hear, which is generally true, but is not all of it, I, I think, based on a lot of what I've been reading and my own biases. Um, okay, but overall, federal repression destroyed the Panthers. COINTELPRO, which we've covered on the show before, is the counterintelligence program that was more or less designed from the ground up to destroy the Panthers, as well as any other socialist and anti-war types. Uh, we know about COINTELPRO because some Jewish radicals associated with the Catholic left, can you tell that I love coalitions across cultural, political, and religious <laughs> lines, um, they broke into an FBI office and then covered all the documents about COINTELPRO. So brave! Yeah, we so have a whole episode cool. about them. They, they're fucking cool too. And COINTELPRO Pro played dirty. They widened every divide in the movement they could find, and if they couldn't find one, they would make one. They infiltrated... There's like something like 700 infiltrators total, possibly, in the fucking Panthers. They forced people to snitch. Like, you know, they would, I don't know to what degree, blackmail in. I didn't write all this stuff down enough. And they literally terrorized children out of their breakfast. As the 70s got going, most of these movements fell apart. The Panthers are not unique in this regard. The infighting turned violent. Panthers and other black nationalist groups were getting into gunfights with each other. Panthers and other Panthers were at each other's throats too. But according to at least two books that I've been reading from two different perspectives, that's not all there was to it. The other thing that tore apart the Panthers was hero worship, authoritarianism, and those things being held up by Marxist-Leninism. And specifically Marxist-Leninism isn't what Marx and Lenin believed, ironically, um, you would think that based on the name. Marxist-Leninism is an ideology crafted and named by the enemy of the pod, Joseph Stalin. And it was this whole thing where he wanted to prove he was the true ideological successor to Lenin after Lenin's death in order to like be different from Trotsky or whatever. Uh, so he wrote about Marxist-Leninism, and it was his stuff. And the Panther Party was always inspired by Marxism and Maoism, but it seems to have been just as inspired by, say, the black nationalist Islam of Malcolm X, right, at its, in its origin. The Panthers were organized using a Leninist idea called democratic centralism, which is basically a one-party state kind of thing. This is obviously not true of all of the different smaller groups, and, and right, and people are doing a lot of stuff autonomously, but this is the formal structure of the Panthers. And essentially... Democratic centralism can look a lot of different ways. Essentially, the idea is like folks vote on something and then whatever side loses, like shuts the fuck up and toes the line. Um, this is an efficient way to accomplish certain things. Lenin called it freedom of discussion, unity of action. In practice, it means usually whoever's in charge is in charge, kind of an elective monarchy. And it, it makes no accountability for leadership. So now we're going to talk about New York. When we talk about how the Panthers fell apart, I think it's worth talking about New York. 
We talked a bit on the show about New York City Panthers, uh, in the episode about the Young Lords, in the episode about Up Against the Wall motherfuckers, the episode about Stonewall, and the episode of Gay Liberation Front. New York Panthers are just like making everything happen in the city. Yeah. And actually some of those groups, like the Young Lords, like kind of took up the slack once the Panther 21, the case that we'll talk about, once it um, derailed the Black Panther movement because they had to move into uh, prison support, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, Puerto Rican radicals were like, we got you. And they would like do many of the same programs and, and do all this amazing stuff. Ugh. There is famously a cultural divide between the West Coast and the East Coast. In the radical black community in the early 70s, one of the ways that it expressed itself was people's relationship to Africa itself. By and large, East Coast radicals were into Pan-Africanism, into African religion and style. Folks were taking African and Muslim names, flying the Pan-African flag, the red, black, and green flag, uh, which is, I think, Marcus Garvey uh, made that in the 1910s. And a lot of them start wrapping New Africa, which, God, would be so fucking interesting if they pulled it off. New Africa, Africa spelled with a K, if people want to look it up is a black secessionist movement that basically said, look, as reparations for slavery, we want the following like four or five states. And it's like deep South states that are like often majority black anyway, right? Yes. And, and so this is the, the East Coast is, is and I'm using rude exaggerations, but these are the exaggerated, this is, this is the, the way it's framed by the Panthers that I'm reading. The West Coast wasn't into any of this shit. Out West, you've got names like Don Cox and Huey Newton. Uh, out East, you've got a Fanny Shakur and uh, Quasi Balagoon. And central leadership banned the Panthers from flying the red, black, and green flag. Furthermore, the New York branch in particular was excited about militant struggle at a time when the West Coast leadership decided to shift focus and then expected everyone to, to toe the line, Right. There was a, a two-combat tour Vietnam vet named Geronimo Pratt, uh, later Geronimo Gijaga. And he was running around Panther groups teaching people to arm up and shit. The West Coast leadership kicked him out of the party for being counter-revolutionary, for not following their change of style. And they did this while he was awaiting trial for a murder frame-up uh, that sent him to prison for decades before eventually the court was like, oh, whoops, it turns out he was probably innocent. Sorry about holding you in prison for fucking decades. Ugh. I mean, and what a time for your party to leave you to, yep. like, the ideal time when you couldn't use us. <laughs> yeah. And Geronimo Pratt was a hero to the New York City contingent, and I believe other chapters as well. So they didn't take it well. Um, they were also, the New York City chapter was the largest chapter in the country, and mm-hmm. they were, like, pretty tired of California telling them what to do. And, of course... Whenever we talk about these divisions, COINTELPRO is meanwhile like rubbing its hands together going like, yes, yes, yes. And then making the divisions worse and like sending fake letters and like publishing articles, just doing everything they can to make this divide bigger. And you've got the Panther 21, who I keep bringing up on the show, which is what we talked about, right? And this is where 21 Panthers were framed on this like wild bombing murder spree thing where they were like, well, they're going to blow up all of New York. Like fucking like Bane out of Batman or whatever, you know? <laughs> and this is a frame up. And it's like really obviously a frame up. But it works mm. because it makes several of them, you know, many of them spend uh, years in jail awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. Eventually all of them get set free, except our guy, uh, Quasi Balagoon, 
who was already in jail for some bank robbery shit. So he didn't get out of jail just because he got indicted and then the case was dropped. Um, he did actually plead guilty to planning to kill a cop. Um, I don't know whether the situation of that case was. Mm. And with everything happened in the party, Quasi Balagoon wound up adding another thing to his list of oppressive forces that he wanted to fight against. And that was authoritarianism. He, alongside other Panthers and former Panthers, wound up an anarchist. I don't mean to imply the majority of them did, or this is like what the New York West Coast split was about, but authority was a huge part of it. He, alongside some other people, later found, later ended up starting the Black Liberation Army, which basically declared war on the American government. We'll talk about them some later time. Basically, as all the, as all the big public new left groups got crushed, a lot of the more hardcore elements were like, fuck it, and went underground and, and kept fighting. As you do. Yeah. Like, what I, you've dedicated your life to this. You're not going to stop. Yeah. And clearly, the straight way in, in bright daylight is uh, not as effective as one would hope. They understand why they were like, well, I'm taking this shit underground. Yeah. And... Basically, the anti-authoritarian critique that emerged in the Panthers, not just from the anarchist Panthers, was less that the East Coast method's like better, but rather that each area can have its own culture and work together, um, mm. and that is stymied by central leadership. And now I'm kind of projecting, but it's like the whole thing that they manage with the Rainbow Coalition and coalition building, right, is about having these like groups of equals with differences without erasing those differences work together towards the same goal. National leadership got to pick who was uh, being worth ba- being bailed out. And this didn't include many New Yorkers. This is a complaint that a lot of folks had about um, what happened in New York 21. So in 1971, the New York branch wrote an open letter to the Weather Underground, which is one of these underground groups that's blowing shit up. And they state their solidarity with the Weather Underground and they critique the self-proclaimed vanguardists or the self-proclaimed, any self-proclaimed vanguard that dismisses armed struggle. And this is a clear dig at West Coast leadership. So this leads to the Panther 21 and I think the New York branch being expelled from the official Black Par- Panther Party. A huge blow when you only have 5,000 members I know. at your height. And you kick out oh, literally boy. the largest group. Sect, yeah. There, there's some ego playing into that, unfortunately. It, exactly. I want to go back to, to Kwesi because he's so cool. <laughs> Just in case I don't do the Black Liberation Army episode anytime soon. In 1970, while Kwesi was in prison, he and other folks, um, including a bunch of Black Panthers, staged a rebellion. They took seven hostages and held them for five days, October 1st to 5th, 1970. And in true grassroots Panther style, this was Black, Latino, and white prisoners working together. Their slogan was, all power to the people, free all oppressed people. And their main demand for this rebellion was uh, speedier trials, right? A lot of people just get held for years who are supposedly innocent till proven guilty and and Kwesi, he's one of the central organizers but instead of playing the vanguard and telling the rebels what they should want he instituted a collective process for all the inmates to just dis- to participate in the decision making about what their demands should be and like what the rebellion should look like and when he realized that everyone was listening to the panthers more than anyone else the panthers skipped the rest of the meetings and were like Look, we'll go with whatever you decide. Yeah, it like, makes me no, so happy. No, like, we we are not here for power. We're not power hungry. We just want what's best. Yep. Y'all talk it out yourselves, and we'll just back your play. Yep. Lovely. 
Um, we started it and you all can figure out how to finish it and we'll support you. Yes. Teach Amanda fish. Yeah. And it, the rebellion in the end failed. Um, the, most prison rebellions do, but they, they still, it gave everyone experience at holding the state at bay. And it also gave in, the most powerless people in our society power for a moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So Quasi Balogun wound up finding anarchism while he was in prison, and it provided um, a lens with which he understood what was going wrong with the Panthers, as central leadership became more and more estranged from rank and file. And, and basically, he got really annoying about it, like most people do when they get their new ideology. Uh, <laughs> one former Panther, Kim Kit Holder, said, quote, At first, he insulted us, calling us robots. But at the same time, he gave us a voice, articulating our problems with the leadership structure and the people in it. I was just a kid in New York City when I joined the party, but remember one of the things that pissed me off was that when we earned five cents for every Panther newspaper that we sold, West Coast folks got 10 cents from the sale. Now, okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. If we are fighting Mm -hmm. for equity and liberation, how are we paying people different amounts for doing the same? That seems an affront to your core tenants, West Coast. The hell? Yeah. And it's around this time that you get allegations of embezzlement from West Coast leadership. Um, I don't know one way or the other uh, because they're, everyone has so, no one is looking at this clearly and no one can, right? Because um, this, this is the defining moment of your life if you are part of the Black Panther Party in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, not whatever. I'm not trying to say like the rest of people's lives is meaningless, but like, this is clearly a peak experience. You're not going to come out of it with like a clear objective take, you know? And, and so like, these are just people. People are fallible, hand someone a ton of power and access to money. An awful lot of people will crack under that pressure. Sure. Uh, and just to close up with Quasi real quick, in case I don't do the Black Liberation episode soon. He loved punk rock. He was queer. He was once arrested with his trans lover named Chicky. And yes. Yeah. He's cool as shit. Chicky, amazing name. Yeah. He went on to keep on the struggle. He broke out of prison twice. He gave amazing speeches in courts that were all just basically like, look, I don't, I don't recognize your right to try me. <laughs> like, I am a new African. Because he was an anarchist, but he was also a new African, right? He believed right, very... Right, right, right. Um, and, um, and as a man who had sex with men in the 80s, he, he died of AIDS in prison. Shout out to Queasy. What a hero. What yeah. an icon. What uh, a visionary. I know I said I wouldn't celebrate any men, but <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make a little room. Jimi Hendrix can get some love, and yeah. so can you, Queasy. He had a trans lover named Chicky. And also, everyone writing him. about him. I know. the the um, There's a book. Oh, God, I can't remember the name of it. It's like it was one of the main books I read or whatever. Um and has all of these reflections of people who knew him. And it's all like, look, you didn't even have to ask him to volunteer. As soon as you were like, man, I need someone to do something. With, before you even say it out loud, he's just there. He's like, all right. And he also would always watch the kids, play with the kids. Like, he was like, just, I, I haven't read anything bad about him yet, is what I was saying. And I've read a fair amount about this man. That is so great. I hope that he live the life his legacy is telling yeah uh he sounds so wonderful like i I mean yeah real salt of the earth kind of guy real of the people yeah and so it wasn't just the anti-authoritarianism like like anarchist of course is going to be mad at central leadership right 
Part of central me- leadership also recognized this. The guy, Don Cox, that we talk about, the field marshal who showed up to his, his daughter's school, who wrote the book, Just Another, he, um, he, he lays out what he thinks went wrong. And what he thinks went wrong was that they fucking read Stalin. I'm, mm. I'm going to paraphrase it. This is apparently <laughs> I timed the break between the episodes a little unevenly. But uh, he's like, look, well, actually, I'll, I'll read part of the quote. The ideological basis for the internal destruction of Black Panther Party was laid with the first book we studied. It was Joseph Stalin's The Foundation of Leninism. Uh, to be clear, not the first book they studied as Panthers, but they had this like thing in 1969 where they're like, let's do a study group to figure out how we're going to run this large organization. Now that we have a large organization, you know? The, that text was used to instill love for the party above everything else, even eventually the struggle as it turned out. We didn't know then that Stalin had massacred millions in the name of the party, and I must admit at the time, I'm not sure it would have mattered. As the ideas of Marxist-Leninism spread throughout the party, it quickly became afflicted with avant-gardism and elitism, considering itself the sole possessor of the truth. Anyone who didn't adhere to the Marxist-Leninist ideas were treated as an inferior being, worthy of being despised. Adopting the Marxist-Leninist structure of the party, with democratic centralism as its sole, all party was then confiscated in the name of the Central Committee— which in reality meant just David Hilliard and Bobby Seale. In name, I was a member of the Central Committee, but there was never one meeting of the Central Committee, nor were there ever points at which members of the Central Committee were asked to vote on any proposition. Or if there was, I was never told about it. Whenever David or Bobby thought up anything, it was simply sent down through the organization as a directive from the Central Committee. Hey. And he, he, the, the reason he... I mean, it's not the reason he wrote his memoir, although this quote I'm about to read is a big part of it, right? Because a lot of the memoirs of the Black Panthers are either like, the Panthers ruled or the Panthers sucked, right? And mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't finish reading his. Um, I don't know everything about it yet. But he has another quote as to why he made this critique. Those of us with experiences in the struggle have a historical responsibility to pass them on. Mistakes are the nursery of new ideas, so we must share them too. If we continue to hide and distort our errors, those coming after us will be condemned to repeat them. We cannot afford the luxury of leaving it up to historians to reveal what we did after 50 or 100 years have passed. Present conditions demand we tell our stories now. Come through, yes. Absolute word. Absolute word. Yeah, and I, I, I find it so interesting because it's like, he's not like, fuck the Panthers. He's like, oh, here's how I track some mistakes we made, you know? Yeah, this is a person who understands, um, I mean, he sounds like an actual leader. You know, we set goals, we strove for them. Where did we fall short? And what would we not do again is the basis of what you need to continue a movement, I would think. And, uh, I mean, he sounds like an incredible human being and I, definitely see yeah see an issue with two people being like now we control everything and you'll do as we say and don't push back that is uh, egregious yeah and like i mean most people it seems like most people just like did what they were going to do anyway right like um yes and then so then they, they got real mad about it but so the panthers lingered throughout the 70s even though they they had started to fall apart, right? Like, but again, every movement during this time did. I'm not. The last branch closed its doors in 1982, and their legacy is astounding. They had problems, 
there were a bunch of kids for the most part getting together and saying, we have an idea of what's wrong and we have an idea of how to make it better. And they made some mistakes and they did more than almost anyone can dream of. Uh, they inspired not only their generation, but every generation that has come since. They directly fed, clothed, housed, protected, and gave medical care to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. They brought together marginalized people without erasing the differences between those marginalized people, just focusing on common enemies like capitalism and the police. And they forced reform after reform, not by asking for reform, but by using direct action to force the state to play catch up with them. They lived adventurous lives. Many of them wound up dead or in prison for decades. Some of them are still behind bars. And actually, if people want to look into it, the Jericho Project is a project that works to um, trying to fight for things like compassionate release for people who've been in prison for 50 fucking years. Others of them lived long and happy lives. Some lived in the States, an awful lot of them got the fuck out of the country, especially to Algeria. Um, Don Cox moved to France. And I don't know, they were fucking cool. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, tr truly the stuff of legends. And I think laid the groundwork, like the blueprint for how we might eat merge the, the disparate sects of society that uh should be together to fight capitalism yeah. you know i think that's we're, we're still trying to figure out how to get back to that space on a mass level it's such a challenge i think a thing our generation our, our current living peoples frequently forget it's like if we look at our economic situation we're worse off than Literally yeah. every generation that's come before us. Yeah, the and Great Depression have got nothing on what's happening now. Yeah, and the the actual hindrance. And it's crazy. And and it's wild because again, it's so distorted. Folks will say such brash things like, Oh, they went to zoos and killed animals to eat. And it's like, well, we've figured out how to make very cheap food and get it to people yeah. quickly. So we don't have the same food supply problems, but look at the number of people. Wow, we're literally seeing major stars be like, yeah, I have to sell my house because I've been on strike for two months. What? Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy that you can have an active, visible career in Hollywood and still be living so paycheck to paycheck. And I think, you know, as we continue to see the rise of the workers' revolution, I hope we all continue to think back on the work the Black Panthers have done. I really think we're on the cusp of a general strike. It's kind of bold to say but we're getting yeah. closer every day um we'll see how some of these uh next negotiations go especially at the city level but you know i think we're all very tired and very poor and uh ready for changes we know can be made pretty easily and have yeah. massive impact so yeah Shout out to Black Panthers who laid the groundwork. Hopefully we can conclude some of your beautiful mission statements that we have not achieved yet as a society. I know. God, that was heartbreaking when you pointed out. They were like, oh, we haven't gotten those. I'm like, fuck. I was hoping for one. You started yeah. reading and I was like, oh, well, maybe we have one. Ma no. No. We have nothing. How does how do juries compare? Is this is are they still like is it still really regular that like black folks are tried by all white juries and shit? I don't have stats on that, but I would imagine not much better, particularly yeah. for um, heavily redlining places because yeah. where you're committing crimes, you know, often when where you're getting caught is not the same place where you live. Like oh, yeah. I, I think a lot about like in Chicago, 
where we there's a great transit system. So you might go downtown to steal a pair of jeans because it's easier to get away with stealing from like the gap there than, you know, like your local store or whatever out in the birds. Yeah. There's a lot of heavy foot traffic. Those people know like, hey, you don't go after uh, a thief because, you know, who cares? The store is insured. Yeah. Um, I'm saying this because I remember a very specific case of right, when a guy you stole some spent, jeans. Yeah, he stole a pair of jeans <laughs> and was in prison for like four months, no trial. Oh, and God. Were like, Someone, yeah, yeah, he's a homeless guy who oh, had fuck. no other clue. He just wanted a clean pair of pants to wear. And the article was like, it's crazy how much we've spent on this guy when all we could have just given him the 20 bucks for jeans. And I was like, it's crazy that we yeah. just can't give that guy some clothes and a house when we have more than enough of both. Yeah. Like, it, it, I get. No, I, I can't concede. I don't understand why we operate this way. It makes literally yeah. zero sense. It helps no one to be like, hey, I want to make sure you have nothing. It, it hurts yeah. all of us. The world is literally on fire because of the economic system that we live in. <laughs> How Quite is literally that not on enough? Fire we, are. we are close to drowning. <laughs> yeah. um, we have so many issues and people are just la da just yeah. got to make sure capitalism stays strong. There's no way any other system could possibly work. That's the thing. Do you talking to people like usually over 45 is so because they're like, there's nothing else we could possibly do. And I'm like, I'm so sad that you feel this way. I don't know yeah. how to help you understand that uh, revolutions happen. Yeah. Many things when people are like, oh, a general strike can never occur. I was like, don't let the price of bread become too expensive. Yeah, and we can track every revolution <laughs> yeah. by the price of bread, every single one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do some history, bro. <laughs> it won't be hard. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. But yeah, do, do I, some I, history, bro. <laughs> do some history, bro. Uh, they will come and eat you if they cannot feed their children. I just want to let you know that's people's breaking point. Yeah, if you, when you can't Amazing. feed your child, that's when the guns and the knives. And the burning of houses mm -hmm. comes out. <laughs> and we don't have wouldn't the time it be for nice it. if we did it before then so we can minimize the... God. What if you just gave it to them and yeah. you still were richer than all of us? Yeah. I mean, you we, I know. you could still keep <laughs> the majority of your power. We yeah. are asking for so little. So just a fragment yeah. to, just to survive. And we'll be happy with it too. It, uh, Margaret, I love talking to you. This was amazing. I loved hearing so many. I love the Black Panther Party already. Yeah. Just and especially, there's so many women survivors who have sort of in the cracks of stories told their story. You know yeah, what I mean? Like totally. an interview here, a random podcast there, like not nameless, but not named. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know. Um, and 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 hearing the good they got to do and and knowing they were for the gays is so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I'm enraged. I hope everyone listening is enraged. I hope we can make some of these Black Panther goals come true. Yeah, I agree. You got anything to plug here at the end of our longest episode that we've done? Um, which the Panthers deserve, to be clear. But I also yes. just, I fucked up putting the split in, in my <laughs> script, I think. Uh, I'm honored to, I, this is my legacy as a podcaster, is to always make an episode way too long. Uh, I, I love it. I great. hope everyone listening enjoyed the ride. Very quickly, um, I talked about it last time, so I'll keep it short this time. I am making a film. It's called Dinner. You can support it on a website called Seed and Spark. It's S-E-E-D and S-P-A-R-K. 
www.filmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmwithfilmw
That's called producer privilege. Um, hey. Befriend your local producer. <laughs> Unless they're creepy, then walk the other way. Also, if you are listening, don't ask Sophie for this favor. Yeah, no, that this is a this is a uh, Margaret only privilege. Yeah. Um, anyways, follow me on Instagram. I post pictures of my dog, and she is right behind me. Yeah. Hi, cutie. All right. See you next Monday with more cool people who did cool stuff. Bye. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.